0: I was struck by the song. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, every fear is gone. I know he holds my life, my future, in his hand. I want to believe that. I want to live as if that is an absolute fundamental reality of my life. And yet, I am reminded on a daily basis of all of the things that I have no control over. All of the things that bring anxiety to my life, that bring frustration to my life. One of them, as much as I love my children, are my children. I have to do things like get them out the door for school. And how many of you get your kids out the door? None of you. None of you have kids? Come on. I've got kids raising their hands. Kids get themselves out. Mine do that sometimes. I came across a series of tweets from different people who were tweeting their experience of getting their children out the door in the morning. And I relate. Maybe you will, too. Me. Get out of bed, four-year-old. No! Me. Why do you fight me every single morning, four-year-old? Because you never learn. (laughs) Six-year-old. Mama, what shape are you cutting my toast into? Flowers? Animals? Me. Triangles. It's Monday morning, kid. Lower your expectations. (laughs) I guess shut up, it's Sunday morning, do it yourself is not good parenting. (laughs) This morning I said to my son, what part of mommy has an important meeting' don't you understand? And he said, I'm three, none of it. And this is the one that... This is what I feel like sometimes life is. It's okay, kid. I, too, want to cry when the cereal gets soggy and the milk gets warm. Life moves fast, boy. My morning pep talk to my son. (laughs) So many things are chaotic about our lives. So many things that we, we think we have everything planned out, And yet, they don't go the way we want them to go, no matter what kind of prep we put into it. There's all of these factors, these circumstances that seem to butt into our plans, and we realize how much control we don't have. And it's frustrating. It's hard. We did Stations of the Cross on Friday, and during the afternoon... There was a dump truck, a uh, 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 um, um, cement truck like, right or that drove by, and as it was driving by, one of the wheels blew. And it was a boom, I mean, loud. And then it kept driving, and you heard the wheel go slap, 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 slap against the pavement as it just kept going down legacy towards whatever destination, destination was. And as it's going by, I thought, that's what I feel like. I'm just getting slapped over and over again. It's like my my life is slapping against the pavement as I go along. Is that really what life needs to be? Because when we open up the story this morning, that is exactly where the women are. Life has kind of beaten them up. Everything they thought they could have controlled, they have no control over. Open your Bible, if you would, to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. These women, if they didn't know it before, they get a harsh lesson in how much they don't have control over. Chapter 24, verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. You see, they couldn't finish on Friday. They couldn't finish all of the burial procedures, the rituals. They couldn't even finish all their mourning because the body had to be gotten in the tomb and they had to stop because of the Sabbath. And so all of Saturday, I think, so we spent all of Saturday yesterday planting flowers as most of Frisco did, if you'd gone to any like Lowe's or anything, I mean the lines were just out the door. But could you imagine their Saturday? They are mourning the loss of their friend, their leader, the one they thought was Messiah, the King, and they can't do anything about it. It's Sabbath. They just have to mourn. And that's what they're doing. But then Sunday comes, And they get up, and they go to the tomb with their spices, and they're going to finish what they started. They're going to go finish mourning and preparing the body. Verse 2, And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, just think about this. These women, they believed Jesus was the one. They believed in him. They believed in this movement he was starting. They believed in it enough that they gave their commitment to it. They gave their time and their energy. And according to Luke, they gave their money. I mean, they were supporting him. They truly believed this guy was it. And they were doing all they could to make sure that it worked. And yet, over the last week of their lives especially the last couple of days, they have seen all the things they couldn't control, no matter how much time, how much energy, how much money they put into it. They could not control one of their own from betraying the whole group. They could not control soldiers coming to arrest him and all the disciples running away. They could not control Jesus giving himself over, like not even fighting. They couldn't control that. They could not control Barabbas being released instead of Jesus. Why would you release the criminal when you have Jesus? They could not control that. They could not control him being beaten, mocked, and crucified. And there's a passage in Luke that is just so... Have you ever been in a situation where you did everything you could and all you could do is watch and know it's going to go a direction you didn't want it to, but there's nothing you can do about it? They watch from a distance while he's being crucified. And there is nothing they can do about it. And here, I mean, come on. At the end, like at least they could control, they get the spices... They go to the body, at least they can control finishing this ritual. They can control mourning, except they show up, the stone is moved, and the body's even gone. They can't even control a dead body staying put. There's so many things they can do, and yet there's so many things out of their control. Can you relate? No matter how much time, effort, money, planning, there's all these things you can't control. That is what my life feels like sometimes. Last night, I went to bed early. Why? Because I wanted to be wide awake for this morning. It's Easter. This is a huge service. I wanted, I couldn't fall asleep. Partly because it's Easter and I'm nervous. I know I've done this a lot, but I'm still nervous. Not too nervous anymore, but I was when I got up here. That's so why I shouted right in the beginning and you all went, oh, it's really loud. I was nervous. It's my nervous shout. I drove here carefully. I controlled my driving. But the guy who almost ran me over, I could not control his driving. No matter what I do, there's always elements out of my control. Right? This to me is what life feels like a lot. I want to introduce you to somebody His name is Kent Couch, and we all do dumb things sometimes, right? And if you're a guy, you do more dumb things. Um, Kent, he really, like, he wanted to fly. And, And of course, being a man, it was too simple just to get in an airplane. He decided instead, he saw some balloons and a lawn chair, And he decided that if he would just hook some balloons to the lawn chair, he could fly. And guess what? If you connect 150 balloons to that lawn chair, you will fly. Kent knows. Now, as you can imagine, his wife had an issue with this plan. He was, of course, well-trained for this, being a gas station owner who made craft beer on the side... And you might not be surprised to know that when another male learned he was doing it, he decided he wanted to join him. And this particular guy was from Iraq. He emailed Kent and said, I want to be a part of what you're doing, flew here, and they built a tandem lawn chair aviation (laughs) device. Two lawn chairs hooked together with 300 balloons, and they took off. And in their journey, they happened to be blown by the wind into a storm, and hail started hitting them. And so they took out their BB guns, they had to shoot the balloons and start going down. They landed in a field, they stepped out of the device, and it took off again up into the air. But they kept going. They wanted to do it again. That wasn't enough for them, except, and I'm not making this up, they decided they wanted to do it in Iraq. But apparently they don't have lawn chairs, so Kent shipped lawn chairs to Iraq. He did not ship the BB guns. His partner said, if you need guns, we have plenty of them here. (laughs) And Kent said, my biggest struggle, what I'm afraid of, is that we might be blown into Iran. Because here's what he said. As simple as it looks, the lawn chair, the balloons, it's really complicated. Which, yes... Because you cannot control the wind. You can't control the storms. there's all these things that once they got up there, they're at the mercy of these circumstances. That's what I feel like. So often I feel like my life, I'm sitting in a lawn chair with balloons, and I'm up there and I'm like, well, I got myself up here. But now... I'm at the mercy of all these circumstances, all these things around me. What do I do? Well, here's what I'm going to tell you this morning. And this is not good news. You can't change that. Let's be honest. You cannot change it. And no matter how much Disney might want us to let it go, (laughs) you can't just do that either. I mean, that anxiety... It can be strong. When you've got these things you can't control, you can't just go, eh, whatever. I'm done with that. I'm not going to worry about it. What can we do? And what does Easter have to do with it? What do they learn? What do these women see that can radically change their lives from their lawn chair existence? Keep looking in your Bible if you would. Verse 4, while they were perplexed, um, which is not, it's a little stronger. Um, they're really, really perplexed. They're a little freaking out. About this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? Which I imagine they just heard, oh, no, oh, no, 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 no. Like, that doesn't even make sense. We're not. Were you paying attention? We've come here for Jesus, the dead guy. We saw it. He is not here, but is risen. Remember. And that word, for the longest time, um, it kind of bothered me. I mean, literally, for years of studying this passage, it bothered me. Um, Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day, rise. And I'm thinking, that's a pretty big deal. I mean, I forget things a lot, but I don't typically forget like, by the way, I'm going to die and then rise to life. That's kind of big. And when they show up, he's not there. And here's the angel saying, remember this. And and here's the thing. These men, as they're called here, angels we see in other ones, the dazzling apparel kind of gives it away. Um, It's not like they're wearing sequins or anything. I mean, this is, you know, they're angelic beings. And... They believe something about control that the women cannot experience in their lives personally. You look at all the things they could not control. I want to talk for a moment about this person that said this to them. Not the angels, but the original one. When Jesus said, I'm going to do this. Hey, here's the plan. I'm going to go into Jerusalem. I'm going to die. And on the third day, I'm going to rise again. I want to tell you a few other things he said. And I want you to think about these. Don't think about them from a Sunday school kind of perspective with like felt boards and things. I want you to think about hearing what he said from an actual person. He once told a group of seasoned fishermen, Hey guys, um, I'm a religious scholar and an amateur fisherman on the side, and I know you've spent the entire night doing what you do for a living, but I'd like you to go out right now, when you normally can't catch fish, to the same place that you just spent all night trying to catch fish, and go ahead and drop your nets again. If You're the fisherman. What do you say to that person? Or, one time he's with his disciples. There have been an entire group of people, like 5,000 men plus women and children, following around for a couple of days. And Jesus goes, I think they're hungry. Yeah. Yeah. And the disciples say, well, let's send them to the towns and get food. Okay, that's a logical way of dealing with this, right? And Jesus says, you feed them. And they look at each other like, what? And then, Yeah, that kid's got a lunchbox over there. Just use that. Feed them all, all 20,000, just feed them. Or, at one point, Jesus is standing before a Roman leader. Hey, Rome has all the control. You've just seen that in the text. Hey, you have watched Rome arrest him and abuse him and put him on trial. They have all the power. And he's standing before this leader and he goes, yeah, you have no power over me. Really? You little Galilean peasant? What are you talking about? I have no power. I mean, you're beaten. I've just ripped up your whole back and now I'm going to go kill you. What do you mean I have no power over you? Yeah, you have no power over me. Or... And this one to me is one of the most profound moments. He's out walking with his disciples and he comes across a funeral procession and he walks up to the grieving mom and he says something that, I mean, we were not taught this in seminary in seminary. We were taught to say, I'm so sorry. Jesus says, stop crying. (laughs) Who says that to a mom who just lost their son? Stop crying. But then it gets worse. He goes to the pirate. he says, dead boy, rise up. We're not dealing with an ordinary individual. He says all of these radical, weird things. He's telling people that are paralyzed to stand. I mean, it, it, he seems to have this view of life that he controls all of it, that there's nothing outside of his control, whether it is feeding people, somebody who is dead or paralyzed or has all the armies, he's still in control and he proved it. This is part of the resurrection because he also told them, look, I'm going to die, but it's not the end. If anybody ever says that to you, they're probably lying. Like, once they're dead, they're probably dead. At least until the resurrection. But Jesus says, no, I'm going to rise. And they get to the tomb. He's risen. He is in absolute control of all things. His plans. Okay, here's my plan. Simple as I'm just going to go to sleep early so I can get some rest. I can't even get that to work right. Here's his plan. From the foundation of the world, all of these things are going to happen, including I'm going to die and rise again. And it's all taking place. Jesus has complete control. And every plan of his will come to fruition in the way he wants it to work. There was a young man named Timothy Chee, and he had dated a girl named Candace for three years. And during their dating period, one of the things they enjoyed was a tangible um, recognition of their, their love for each other. And, and they would write letters to one another, even though they weren't, it wasn't a distant relationship. I mean, they lived within you know distance of one another, but they would write these letters. And he wrote to her over this three-year period of time, he wrote her 14 letters. And they were these beautiful letters with, you know, like the the first letter of the first word was like this big calligraphy kind of letter. I mean, it was just, you know, it was all beautiful, and and it shared his love, and, and he wrote 14 of these to her. And then in December of 2015, he took her away, and they went on this little vacation, And one morning when she woke up, there was a little note by the bed. And it said, before you come out, I want you to be completely ready. And she said, as part of an interview, she said, my heart started beating harder. I knew this had to be it. Like, this is when he was going to do it. And so she gets all ready and she opens the door and there are rose petals. And it leads into the living room of the area that they're staying. And he has pulled out all 14 letters. And they sit down and they read them together to remember three years of courtship. But then, when the letters are all done, he takes them, and starting with number one, he begins to line up that first letter, that first big letter. And he lines them all up, and they say, Will you marry me? The first letter was sent within the first month Of when they started dating. They had been friends for a couple of years. It wasn't a brand new relationship, but within that first month, he had sent the first letter and he just kept them going for three years until they spelled this out. That is the kind of planning Jesus has for his world and for his people. And we've all seen it at times, right? You've looked in hindsight. So you've gone through something and you've looked back and you've gone wow that's what god was doing there's some things you look back you still don't know what god was doing but can i tell you he is writing these letters he has a plan and here's the thing about his plan it cannot be stopped it is moving forward for the sake of the world for his people and for the honor and glory of God the Father. That is what he has in your life. So, on one side, we have us. And our just utter lack of control over so many things. We're just grasping. We're trying to hold on and like, I got this, but then I lose this. I got this thing over here, and then I get kicked in the gut. I, mean, I just can't seem to win. And I have anxiety. And I have frustration. And then over here, we have Jesus who is saying, I have, and this is not a cliche, everything under control. I have plans and I'm making them come to fruition. There is nothing that surprises me. Not once that I ever go, oh, wow, I didn't see that coming. He has never said that. He never will. Our king is in control. But, since we're being honest, go back into the text. Here's why I think the angel had to remind them. I think he had to say, remember this, because it is so radical that they have no category for it. That when Jesus said, I'm going to rise again, they looked at him like blank stares. I, I, okay, I don't really know what that means. Because um, that is a category we did not even have. Remember what he said. They didn't get it, but then they believe, keep going in their text, and they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. I mean, they believe. Now, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women who were with them, and told these things to the apostles, but these words seemed like an idle tale, and they did not believe them. That word idle is only used one time in Scripture. Um, it's a word that would describe going to the loony bin. I mean, they think these women are crazy. Like, there's, th- that, that's ridiculous. That is nuts. Um, you women are on something. You went to the wrong tomb. Um, those spices you prepared, they you took some of those spices in. I mean, there's something wrong here. Yeah, you've lost it. They do not believe. Because it is radical. It really is radical. And this is where I feel like in the church... It's not too much of an issue for us to accept as a general idea. Jesus died for us and rose again. Therefore, we're going to go to eternity or we're going to go to heaven. But it's so much more than that. Easter was not primarily about getting you to heaven. It was about bringing in a new kind of life, a resurrection life. It was about bringing eternity into the now about Jesus showing you and us that he conquered death, sin, and the devil and made a new way of life. And that new way of life means we can absolutely trust him. Not just that we're forgiven, but the everyday moments of our lives. We can trust him. Because... You've heard this said too. I know it's a cliche. He has a plan for your life. He does. If you belong to him, he has a plan for you. He wants to do something with your life. The things that happen in your life, they are not meant to be random occurrences. The things you struggle with, he wants to use. Here's what he's looking for. Here's what he offers. This is what Easter offers. You cannot change the things you cannot control. However, you can trust one that has shown he controls everything. Does God love you? Yes. Whether you belong to him or not. You may be here this morning and you don't even believe in God. He still loves you, whether you believe or not. And that love, he works out of that love. When we look at the reason Christ was sent, it's connected to love. God so loved the world that he gave. God loves us, and he has total control. There is a peace in there if you will let him, let it go, but grab onto him. Don't just let it go. It won't work. The song is great. Theology is not. Back in high school, I went with a friend and her family on a short vacation. And her dad drove a 1990 Lexus, um, which is kind of like a tank. I mean, there's nothing sleek about those old Lexus. They're like these big old giant cars. And and she and I had taken the car to do a little trip away from the cabin we were at. And when we got out of the car, I was not paying attention, apparently. I was looking at her talking. And my hand is on the door right here. And I closed it. And it closed on my thumb. And I mean, it closed. Like, I could not get my thumb out And it was excruciating. But the worst part, the door was locked. (laughs) Because we were getting out to go, and so we locked the doors. And so I'm doing what I think anybody under that circumstance was doing. I am pulling on that handle as hard as I can to get this door open, and I am screaming. I'm like, ah, open up, and it won't open up. And She's saying something. But I don't know what it is because I'm so caught up in the fact that my thumb is stuck in a door. I still have a scar on my thumb from it. And finally, she yells at me. I cannot unlock the door if you won't let go of the handle. My kids constantly go to the van, and they're pulling on the handle, and I'm like, let go of it. The door doesn't unlock when you've got the handle open. That's what I was doing. I had to let go in order for her to unlock this and release the pain. I wanted to control something I could not control. I could have jerked on that handle all day long. I was not going to get that door open she could will you let go and trust him let the peace that he offers come into your existence into your circumstances I didn't say it'd be easy but there can be a peace there knowing that he is in control and working or you can leave your thumb in the door for as long as you want because I know how good that is. I mean, I, I, doing it without God is a great thing, right? That's all working for everybody, I'm assuming. And at 6:30 that night, with stations, that cement truck came back by. We were moving from the first station to the second station, and I wasn't paying attention to the road, but I heard the slap, 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 slap of the tire. It went away and did whatever it was doing, and it drove right back with that flat tire. Now, it had two wheels on the back, so only one of them was flat, but still, it never got it fixed. Leave your thumb in the door, leave the tire flat, whatever you want to do, or surrender to the love and the control of your king. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus for his life, for his ministry, his teachings, for his humility, for his great love, and for his death and his resurrection that we celebrate today. Lord, may we see in that resurrection a new way of living, that our king truly does have control. Even over death, he has control. What is it in our lives that he could not reign over? And Lord, give us the courage to release that to you and to trust you. We ask it in Jesus' holy name. Amen.